Today on episode 18, I talk with John Langdon, who is co-owner of Oregon Wild Rice. I loved this conversation with John, and I loved learning more about how wild rice is grown, how it's harvested, as well as learning about how his farm started growing wild rice in the first place. Because I guess usually, for the most part, wild rice is grown in Minnesota. So this is super fun to hear about how they started growing it in Oregon. John is really passionate about the farm-to-table movement, and he also has a huge mission to bring more of a spotlight to the Oregon ag community, and we will learn all about that on today's podcast. You are going to really love this interview. It's time to adapt to a plant-based palate, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello, we are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins sounds like a win-win to you, go grab a spoon or fork, and let's dive in to learning more about how you can be plant-forward. Hello, and welcome back once again to the Bull of Life podcast. Today, we have a super exciting guest with us, but a little background first on why I love what we're talking about today. I always think it is super interesting to learn where our food comes from or how it's made. So when I was able to connect with Oregon Wild Rice on Instagram, I was super interested in learning more about them, their wild rice, and how wild rice is grown. Because here's a little teaser. Wild rice is not actually a rice. Say what? I know. So let's talk to our expert, John Langdon, who is the co-owner of Oregon Wild Rice and learn more. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, why you're passionate about wild rice, and maybe even a little bit about why you even started to grow wild rice? Because you were telling me a little bit before we actually kicked off the show officially, kind of the backstory on how you even came to grow wild rice, because that's not actually what you had grown for many years um, on your farm. Correct. Uh, My brother, Tony Langdon, and I, after our dad, Jim Langdon, passed in 2014, we we were looking at kind of doing some different things. And the farm's 120 years old, and we've predominantly grown grass seed for 60 to 80 years. And, And it rains a lot here in Western Oregon, the Willamette Valley. And we, we spend a lot of time trying to drain extra water off the fields and we have rich heavy clay soils and so a lot of times there's we spend a lot of time digging ditches and trying to remove this excess water and so what that does is make growing grass seed it's not ideal we have a little more rain than we use than we actually need so what happened was we had a neighbor who was growing some wild rice for some seeds and he was growing seeds for people to plant across the country and my brother and I thought why couldn't we produce more of that in an actual cropping system and and why couldn't we you know go ahead and process it for human consumption like we see other products on the shelf so what we did was we Um, went ahead and tried it. And I was telling you earlier, my brother and I independently made trips to the Sacramento Valley 
uh, where they grow a lot of rice and a lot of different rices. And we noticed they had to drill wells and pump water out of the ground to flood the rice fields because rice grows in water. And the thing is, you know, no one's really heard of California rain. Well, when we would leave our fields at home during these times, our fields were flooded from Oregon rains. We get so much, you know, pure Oregon rain here. And we thought to ourselves, we're trying to drain water and they have to pump it out of the ground to grow the crop. And why, why wouldn't it make sense to try to grow rice here? So we spent some time trying to figure out why it wouldn't work. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't come up with anything. So we're like, let's throw some in, let's get some rice seed, let's put it in the ground. And then we figured, like I told you, the worst that we could get is a duck pond, you know, because ducks love wild rice. Right. And so we thought, if it doesn't work, we'll have a duck pond and we'll deal with it later. Well, it worked well enough to, to expand and keep going. So we started with 40 acres and then we grew to 80 and, and we've continued to grow. And this next season, we'll have about 200 acres of rice. And that's a small portion of our farm, but it's plenty of, uh, plenty of fun and plenty of an experiment. And so I was telling you, we, we'd grown it and we're expanding for four years. And then we had the 2019 crop was big enough to where we felt like we could sell it and keep selling it. We had enough to try to go get some customers both online and in shelves and continue to provide a good product for those customers. We knew the rice would be <clears throat> high quality as far as its attributes, but we really didn't know it was taste as good as it does. And it, when you try it, which you have, yeah. you can compare it to other wild rices. We pretend like we, we, we grew a rice that that's, it's that much better tasting on purpose, but the truth is we don't know why it's so good. <laughs> we think it's the, the dirt and the rain here, but it's really, really good. And so what we did was we were working with a local market that does a great job of helping local farmers. They say that's what they're about, and they're, some might not necessarily be as passionate as you're in the action. So what happened was in March, the pandemic unexpectedly cleaned off a lot of rice shelves across the country. It interrupted the supply chain. And then there was a lot of customers who were concerned about things and, and bought a lot of those non-perishable pantry items. So rice shelves got emptied. Well, this retailer called Market of Choice, and they've been fantastic to us, they called us and said, hey, do you still have that rice? And, and they knew that we had a high quality rice and we had a pretty abundant supply. And we said, yeah. And they said, we'd like to rush it to our shelves. You know, right now we don't have hardly anything to offer our customers. Mm -hmm. And in America, we're not used to seeing empty shelves. In no, no. Grocery so it was, you know, the toilet paper, there's a lot of jokes. And at the time there was a lot of fear about that, but flour and rice. And so... Next thing you know, we had a local inventory of a product that retailers weren't able to provide for their customers. So we were thrilled to be able to contribute. And so we kind of rushed it into those shelves and then farm stands really got hit hard because a lot of people were looking at the experience of going to a farm stand and, and buying some of those higher end, uh, more natural groceries, if you will. And so we were able to put some in those locations and the customers really loved it. And like I was telling you, I really had a sense this summer since everything was closed and disrupted that uh, 
they were almost like mini vacations for people. Yeah. You know, yeah. go out to the country and they decorate those farm stands so beautifully and you get to, you know, and there was kind of a little bit of a sense of trust or something and knowing where your food comes from and kind of that connection. And I think knowing where your food comes from and selecting uh, better food for yourself and your family was a trend, but the COVID-19 pandemic really accelerated that. Yeah, One, I love that too. I love that. That is more than just a trend now. <laughs> yeah, really I, cool. You know, for us, it's, um, I kind of have a saying that a lot of the people that were vacation goers or party animals or whatever you want to call them suddenly became homemakers. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and, and like for yourself on Instagram, a lot of times there was a lot more attention to what you were doing because people still wanted that variety and those high level experiences at home, but they couldn't get them in restaurants. They couldn't get them some places. So they were now given a reason or motivation, I should say, to start cooking more elaborately at home. And we felt like we had a superior carbohydrate with its flavor and its palatability and the the attributes for not only the Northwest, but the country. It's just with the pandemic, the supply chains were really messed up and shipping is always, a, you know, it's a cost. So we were happy to contribute to the Northwest and we were happy to bring a high quality carbohydrate to those people that care. And it was just neat to be able to participate in hopefully being part of the solution or, you know, making things a little bit better. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And um, just love, love that kind of mission of yours and being there, you know, not only at the right time, but with the product that's local with the product, that's a good product. And like you said, that tastes really good too. And I wonder if part of that taste comes from, you mentioned that some of the wild rice near you, you know, they had to pump water in versus yours is just, just natural. It's just there. So I bet, you know, I would imagine that probably contributes to a better taste. We think so. Um, you know, there's a little bit of wild rice grown in California and I believe they do a great job down there. And then predominantly it's grown about 98% of the people that we talk to, if they have some real knowledge about wild rice, they're from Minnesota or they have a connection to that region. Yeah. That or the other two, that, about 98% and the other 2% are either chefs or they've worked in um, grocery stores for a long time. So it's a very undereducated, unaware product. And, you know, in Minnesota or Northern California, you're going to have different soils and you're going to have different growing factors. And the reason we planted the rice is because we thought all of our growing factors, the rain, you know, or Northwest is famous for the rain. Mm -hmm. And we have this fertile valley with these dark rice loves. And so I think the combination um, just produced, we knew we could produce a high quality product. We just didn't know the, the flavor profile would be, you know, noticeably I don't want to say better than everyone else, but it is. <laughs> you can try it. Yeah, you, you should say that for real, for real. So it well, is. I mean, job, so. We'll do a taste test with anybody. And taste is always a personal preference, right? And a lot of times how something looks can matter. But uh, when it gets right down to what you're going to eat often or every day, we're, we're pretty happy with where we're sitting. Right. And, you know, I mentioned this kind of in the intro, but 
wild rice is not actually a rice. Can you can you explain kind of why that is? Because I think with the name rice in the name, yeah, <laughs> that can and, lend to some confusion. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know it's cooked like rice and it looks a lot like rice, and it's you would replace you would eat it, you know, in place of other rices. So that's where you know that's where that comes from. And we didn't name it, but it's really like you know you have wheat and barley. They're both grains, but then you have corn. We think of them as similar, but they're not really the same. And it's kind of like that. They're just different plants. And, you know, at the end, whether it's a grain or a rice or whatever it is, it's the plant's seed is what it is. And so it's different plants kind of have different qualities in their seeds. And that's where you get into some of the attributes of wild rice, why it's different than other rices, because it's just a different plant. Now, in the land of 10,000 lakes, the Minnesota area, wild rice predominantly grows naturally. I mean, it's traditionally harvested with canoes and, you know, they have, you know, it's just grows. And so then California, it's more cultivated rice, but like you say, you know, California is not famous for their rain. So um, it's a different plant. I don't think they knew what else to call it. And it looks a lot like rice. So it cooks up about like rice. And I think that tells you that, um, uh, you know, people are just going to use it as rice, mistake it for rice. And, you know, yeah. So, so yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, there's probably some confusion out there because there is a black rice that, you know, has become kind of a unique item in the food world and like a forbidden rice, I think is kind of along that same line. So I think there, you know, there's a lot of like, like you said, it looks like rice. It's, it's the same shape. And so I think that's probably where a lot of the confusion comes in. Plus a lot of the, you know, big mainstream brands, maybe that more cultivated rice um, or the cultivated wild rice you mentioned, they often right. mix it together with other grains as kind of like just um, a medley of rice. Um, and you see that a lot as well. So I think probably that's why there has been that confusion out there. I mean, like I said, I always thought it was a rice too <laughs> until I started looking into it. And then you know, who know? I'm in the Great Lakes region as well. And uh, I, I don't know of any place in Michigan that grows um, wild rice. Um, but, you know, our I didn't even know our uh, neighbor to the, the little bit of the west of us on, on the other side of the Great Lakes, Minnesota grew wild rice. So I'm getting all sorts of education, which is fantastic. And that's where it's historically grown. We weren't experts either, and we had no idea there was so many rice brands or rice types and brands. And we've we've enjoyed learning the rice space and learning how much comes from overseas and you know the different things like that. And um, you know, rice there is a multitude of varieties, and some of them from different places can look a different look a little bit different. Now with the blends. We think that's one of the reasons that wild rice has been a little bit hidden because wild rice, typically it's a more dense seed and that's why it has some of these higher proteins and, and things like that. So what we think is uh, a lot of times it's put in a blend, a lot of times in a blend, 
The other rices have cooked up and they're fully, you know, the cooking process is completed where the wild rice hasn't. Mm. And I think sometimes you can have a rice medley where you have these long black sticks in there that, that aren't very palatable. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually had a friend um, say that to me actually when I was talking about wild rice a few weeks ago and they were like, oh yeah, that can be a little bit chewy sometimes. Yeah. So that would be why they probably have only had it in the mixes. And our rice is, is more golden brown and it's smaller and it's, it really cooks up and has the texture more like a good brown rice or basmati or jasmine rice. Some of the wild rice, some of the native wild rices, they're long black sticks and they're pretty fibrous. Yeah. Pretty serious little things. And, and so you got to know what you're doing. And sometimes some of those more extreme varieties are cooked more like spaghetti or like uh, noodles, like pasta. Oh, really? Excess water off. And I'm not an expert chef at all. <laughs> we just know ours you can cook pretty much like brown rice. You just might need a little more time and might need a little more water. Okay. However, uh, it's, it's easy to replace. And one of the areas that I really personally felt like we could contribute is the fitness industry. You know, you're an Instagram person. You see, you know, Instagram is the food network. That's yeah. where all, you know. And when the fitness industry, you see these meal preppers, and generally they're very intentional about their protein free-range chicken, grass-fed beef, lean cuts of meat. And a lot of times they're very uh, specific about their, the glycemic index of their, um, you know, the vegetables, yeah. whether it's, and a lot of times they just you know, fresh local or from their garden. They're very, you know, again, intentional about those vegetables. But when it comes to the carbohydrate, generally in the fitness world, it is rice. But normally it's just one of the lower end brands like Uncle Ben's. It's just, it's kind of an afterthought. It doesn't get the same focus as the other two food groups. And right. And actually it's very high in plant protein as well. Yeah. So one of the things we liked about wild rice is it is roughly twice the plant-based protein. And since it's a plant instead of an animal, it's plant-based protein. And and that's a huge trend. And a lot of people that understand it are very passionate about it. And mm -hmm. fitness athletes, even bodybuilders understand that, you know, whether it's an oxen or an elephant, they get pretty big and pretty muscular from eating plants. So that's, yep. that, that can be a thing. So, but what it does is it, it's not such a, a carbohydrate load because you've got two things in there. You've got twice the plant-based protein and then the you've got twice the fiber which if you're a believer in net carbs yeah your fiber content you know is subtracted from your carbohydrate content and giving you net carbs some people are fans of that some people aren't <laughs> well so, i think we can all agree though that as americans we all need more fiber <laughs> and so that's very good just to have that more in our diet <laughs> in a lot of ways sarah fiber is harder to get than protein yeah I agree. <laughs> we think that this being a good source of fiber is far more important than people realize. And, but the people that understand the, you know, the macronutrients, they understand. So we, I just, I just think the wild rice attributes are not connected to the public and we want to help that bridge. And we think 
the uniqueness of growing it in Oregon gives us kind of a trigger point for people to notice something that's been around for years, but they haven't had a real connection to it. Oh yeah. It's all about education, right? It's all about getting that education out to people. Um, And that's why we love shows like yours because we love what you're doing with your food. We love what you're doing, you know, the way you cook, the way you represent uh, the importance of food because food matters more than ever right now. Yes. (laughs) And so the way you're presenting that is very valuable. We're happy to be a part of it because we think the same way. We think that right now, more than ever, you know, knowing where your food comes from, having a sense of why you're eating it, what it's doing for you is more important than ever. And you know, with the wild rice, another thing we liked about it is it's much lower on the glycemic index than mm-hmm. most of your carbohydrates. Yeah. And, so for those people that still, you know, want to be conscientious of, well, I want to consume more plant protein, but, you know, or eat more plants, but then, you know, you get that pushback a lot because people are like, oh, does, you know, that I just have to eat a lot of potatoes and they have so many carbs. So like you said, this is a good solution. Absolutely. And it's lower on the glycemic index. So you don't get those spikes. And that's people that understand it, whether they're diabetic or pre-diabetic or just understand what they're trying to do with their body makes a big difference, big difference. And with potatoes, you know, I have nothing against potatoes and other rices. I have nothing against them, but generally it's what someone like you, like like someone like you, that's a professional or just an expert that it's what you do with the potatoes. It's what you do with the brown or white rice. It's what you add to it. It's, you know, those kind of things. And we felt like the Oregon wild rice is a much better base product to start with and then the creative you know juices can flow right yeah if you already start with a great tasting product you've already got half half the recipe already is taken care of right right and it's unique and you know we spend whether it's fish or a great steak or you know my cousin grows grass-fed lamb a rack of lamb you know we hate to see the the you know the seasoned green beans the rack of lamb and then it looks like rice aroni from a box it just doesn't you know we think we can do better in that space and i think you know with keto there's a lot of people that are more carb adverse now but there's a lot of people that just want to be very they don't want empty carbohydrates and i think that's a space that we can educate and you know it tastes great and it really can add a flavor profile to your meal that um it's kind of hard to get yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, that it cooks, that your wild rice cooks very similar, maybe just a little bit longer than than brown rice. So how do you prepare wild rice? Is it about the same cooking methods as like a normal rice or? Yes. So what we do is typically about two and a half cups of water per cup of dry rice. I like to use a little bit of sea salt in the water when it's boiling. And we also, we tried many different oils and we prefer hazelnut oil, just a little bit of hazelnut oil. I don't understand the science, but it keeps it from foaming up. I mean, completely, it's a night and day difference. And I think I can taste the difference when it's hazelnut oil versus some other oils. I think they complement each other better. Right, it adds a nutty flavor to it. Um. Yeah, I think so. We don't seem like we use enough oil where we should be able to taste it, but there is a difference. Now, do you recommend um, 
Now, I know for like just when you cook normal rice, you rinse it and even like quinoa, you rinse it. Now, do you need to rinse wild rice before you cook it? The it probably depends on the processor. You know, we do a, the best job we can of keeping you know, nothing's in that bag, but 100% rice. We don't even have like small bits or dust in there. It's it's rice. Nice. And so it's probably not necessary to clean, to rinse it, but we generally do because we think it's just good practice. And it's, yeah. good, it's good practice. I don't think it does anything for the actual cooking process. There are some people, we've had some chefs that like to soak it for a while before they start adding the heat, but mm. that's kind of out of my expertise. For us, we do rinse the rice and I use a, a rice cooker with one button. I just make sure I use a stainless bowl instead of aluminum. That's just mm. a personal preference. And then I like it for simplicity, but we love when people, if they know their Instapot or they know, you know, they have different ways of doing it on stovetop. Um, and then there's the El Dante. Some people like it a little bit, you know, with a little bit of texture and then some people like it much softer, but really you only have to cook it about twice and you'll figure out, you know, it's not complicated. It's a very simple product to, get a handle on and figure out what you want to do. Right. Yeah. And actually, um, over on the bad to the bull blog, we did one with your rice. We did it in the slow cooker and we did one in the instant pot, instant pot. I just, I love the instant pot kind of, both of those are just very hands-off. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Now you've mentioned, and I'm just curious because you've mentioned like how you process it a few times. What what does that look like? And all I have for a frame of reference in my mind is I was reading some article about Minnesota wild rice and they were kind of showing different different ways that uh, they did it there. But can you tell me a little bit more about how, how what does that processing look like? Well, I will say this. We wondered why wild rice we understood it's a top shelf rice, but the price point is usually up there. You can buy much cheaper rices. They don't that they're a different animal and they're not near the quality, but we're like, hmm, I think we can grow this cheaper. Well, we can, but by the time you start the processing, that's where we figured out, oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> so it's very simple to cook once it's ready for the consumer, but the actual processing, there's just several steps. And one, they're time sensitive out of the field. So you've got basically 72 hours just to process that rice. Oh, wow. Field. So you got to be set up to do it in a hurry. And then there are several steps and you have to, you have to, there's a lot of moisture in the plant when you bring it off the, the field. We use machines with, you know, flotation. There's the waters, the plants used up pretty much all the water because it'll grow six or seven feet tall. Oh, really? But oh, yeah, it goes from barely, you're like, you don't think anything's growing because it's two feet of water and you can't see anything. And then you start seeing the plants a little bit and you're hoping they're wild rice. And then once it touches the surface, and that usually happens, I would say, late April for us here. Okay. Everything's a little different depending on your region. So for us, about late April, the the leaves touch the water surface and then April, May, June, I mean, you, you can go out there in the next day and see that it's grown. Wow. I mean, sometime your 60 day corn will grow like an inch a day. And I think the wild rice is similar. Okay. Yeah. We always say in Michigan, we live around a lot of cornfields and it's like knee high by 4th of July. It's supposed to yeah, be like yeah. the aim. <laughs> yeah. And kind of that same thing. And then the, there's some evaporation because of the summer heat from the water. And then the plant uses a lot to grow that 
big that fast, kind of like corn takes a lot of water. Mm -hmm. And so then we go out and we harvest it with a harvester and it has tracks on it. It's, it's muddy, but it's usually not, there's not standing water. Mm. And then we bring it in, you kind of kind of lay it out. And it's this process of kind of fermenting or vetting. There's some pe people call it different things. You probably saw that where they're stirring around with sticks and yeah. what the, there's a husk on each seed, each, you know, it's called annual water grass, but we'll refer to it as wild rice. So each rice kernel has a husk on it, kind of like corn. Well, you've got to get that to relax and basically start to separate before you can run it through a husker, which will take that off. You oh, have wow. to, um, so you have to kind of be mindful of the moisture and, and the, how you stir it and that kind of stuff to get that process. And then it's just several steps and it goes in a parcher, which is to parch the moisture out of it. So it comes in wet. You need some of the moisture to kind of create steam to separate the husk and then you run it through that husker and then you put it in the parcher and you kind of have to hand put in batch at a time and it's kind of like a big clothes dryer propane yep. powered for the heat but it it's just like a big dryer at the laundry mat and yeah it, i was gonna say it's, it's dry dries it out right that's the, would yeah, be the it literally way. just dries out the rice that's what it does and so um and then there's a couple more steps and then it's ready for what they call a gravity table, which is, um, it's the thing that separates base. You ever, let's say you had a bucket of round rocks from the river and you shook the bucket, the big ones will float to the top. Yep. I, I can't, backscatter effect. I can't remember what that's called, but there yeah. is. I, yeah, I can picture it in my mind. <laughs> yeah, so a gravity table is about the size of a pool table, but it's it it's, doesn't lay flat. You can, manipulate the angles and it simply separates by size and weight and you go through a couple processes like that and that's where you have this amazing separation of every little you know you can the halves come off this shoot and the full ones come off this shoot and the big full ones come off this shoot so you can really be very um specific about that process of separating exactly so where's just rice and just the rice you want now, I will say this. This is kind of a secret I think we've stumbled on. I could be wrong. <laughs> but you know how, like, sometimes with fruit, the ones that are a little overripe have the sugar content freeze and that kind of stuff? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So a lot of companies only put the long, full-grain pieces of rice in their bag. And I'm not so sure that the ones that don't break aren't kind of like that fruit that's the most ripe. So they're a little more brittle, but I, I'm not so sure there is, there are, they're not the best tasting ones. So I think a lot of times some of the best tasting rice and other, we believe it is in ours. I, I suspect it is in ours, but I think a lot of times maybe some of the best tasting wild rice goes off to, soups or dog food or other things other uses yeah. chicken feed so we just think that you know even if it's broken half that's actually might be a better rice kernel than only having holes uh, so do you do you keep the broken rice in with yeah, so if it's if it's you know bits basically 
think of one grain of rice. If it's a half a grain, we put it in our bag because we think it makes a better product. One right, is- yeah, and you're not going to really notice the size difference when you look at a whole cup or something of it. Yeah, it's kind of like a whole sandwich or a sandwich cut in half. You know? Yeah, it, it cooks up faster. It's more palatable. We think it's we think it gives us a better flavor profile. But the smaller ones, uh, you know, we we don't have a very high percentage of those. We're kind of getting off on rabbit trails here, but we do ship those. Those go to soup companies and other things. And we're just kind of starting that process. Um, so just because, uh, you know, we want it to have a consistent texture. And for people like yourself, you want that pile of rice on your plate to look nice. I mean, there's an aesthetic value to it. So we want it to kind of have that consistency. Yes, that is, yeah. texture. We eat with our eyes first, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Or maybe adults, we grow a little bit out of that, but still we eat with our eyes first and can't trick your kids. They're going to notice that right away if it doesn't look the right. same. And it's not that it looks bad. We just want it to look consistent. We just want, yeah. you know, and I think we're we're funny that way as humans. If it doesn't look right, we're like, well, wait a minute. Um, and so... We just want to provide the highest quality, most consistent product that we can. We think we're onto something unique. Uh, the responses from chefs and people like yourself have been, you know, everybody's liked it. And the enthusiasm around our, pro- our product, I mean, whether it's enthusiasm from chefs or people like yourself, and you may be a chef, so I'm sorry if I'm speaking incorrectly no no it's okay i'm not a not a professionally certified (laughs) and store owners alike there's just the word i'm going to use is enthusiasm people are number one thing we hear is i didn't know they grow rice in oregon and i typically say well they don't we do (laughs) but yeah but like you said it makes perfect sense you're a rainy area rainy valley area and so it's like well gosh why weren't we doing that before (laughs) And we're happy that well, you can pull, if you can find some other boxes or bags of wild rice out, out here in, of wild rice out here in the Northwest and pull theirs off and pull ours off and let's do a taste test. We're not afraid of anybody, which is kind of fun. So yeah. um, we're just very thankful that the Northwest has been enthusiastic about it. We've had people all across the country interested. Shipping is a cost. And we're, you know, we're like everyone else, we're doing our best. But we've had our rice in Maine and Florida and, you know, in your area, in the South. And that's one of the beautiful things about the internet and Instagram is people can find you from anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so yeah, so what's what's next? Where do you look at uh, you guys growing next? You said you, you've grown to 200 acres. Is it going to grow more yeah. or... That's our, that's our plan. We can grow to about, I don't know if I should be giving away these numbers, but we can grow to about 600 acres pretty easy. And then we're going to have to get creative or get some different land. Um, one of the things that we get asked often is if we grow any other rice. Yeah. And that's mostly from people we're connecting with here in the Northwest and their interest if we grow in any other rice. And so my brother and I, you know, we kind of feel like we got one experiment going, but we're at the point where we're like, oh, okay, apparently we can grow it. So if there, if there's a need for more local 
rice type products. We are open to it. We just haven't taken that step yet. So really what's next for us is trying to reach across the nation a little bit. Um, we're like you, we're still trying to understand the national wild rice market and education uh, bridge. Yeah. And I, I think it's a product that if people knew, typically I think they go in a grocery store and they see often it's the most expensive rice on the shelf and they don't know anything about it. Right. And, you know, they maybe have had different exposures mixed. Maybe they had it in a blend or they got some and it was one of the more extreme varieties and they didn't know how to cook it. And, or somebody, somebody, a brother-in-law, my sister-in-law's aunt told me that stuff was no good or whatever it is. Um, but we just feel like if people knew there would be a much greater demand. Well, and you know, I think, you know, a few years ago, everyone would have been like, what the heck is quinoa, you know, and look how that's exploded. So, yeah. you know, I think, uh, I think you're, at the right place at the right time, you know, where people are taking an interest in looking at like, where, where is that grown? Where's that food coming from? You know, maybe I could get something that's, you know, grown here, if not locally, nationally grown, you know, I mean, so much food is imported. I mean, if we could just like, you know, eat food that's just grown here in the U.S., it'd be amazing. <laughs> that's, I mean, the pandemic, you know, it has brought people into their own kitchens in a whole new way or yeah. return to the old way, depending on how you look at it. But it's also brought a sense of, I guess I would use the word national pride or maybe more national interest in, hey, why can't we do some of this stuff here? Why are we so reliant on overseas countries? Yeah. And the buy local, that's not new. The knowing where your food comes from, that's not new. The... Um, the connection and the fulfillment of kind of knowing going to the farm and that farm direct that farm to table movement that's not new so those are all trends that were very healthy and growing before the pandemic and i think the pandemic has just given us less to focus on because so many things have been closed right when i think that you know i mean we've lost sports we've lost so many things that turning attention to foods is it's one of the things that we still have some control over. Yeah, everybody's got to eat. <laughs> and we can put some passion into it, right? We can feel yeah. like we're doing something for the family and we're doing something unique and we're expressing ourselves, but we're also doing something um, healthy in a time where a lot of people are very concerned about health. We have a local uh, chain here. They have 80 stores in the Northwest and they're employee owned, they're a great store. And they are more of a sporting goods type store, more of, you know, they have some household items, but that's not really their bag. Um, but we talked to the vice president, he happens to be someone we're acquainted with, and he said, guess what the biggest spike in sales have been in? And I said, ammo. And he said, it's always up. And I said, <laughs> alcohol. And he said, well, with the bars closed, yeah, it's up. <laughs> And I couldn't guess. And he said, small appliances. Yes. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, our dishwasher broke. And we were like, my husband luckily fixed it. But we were so worried, like, if it broke that we would be out of a dishwasher. And small appliances is not really what that store is about. The bread makers and vegetable steamers and, you know, blenders, those type of things. But he said it's been off the charts. 
Wow. And it's because people, there's shortages other places and they want to, they're making something at home now because they can't go to the restaurants like they could. And, and some people are afraid to go to some of the grocery stores. So they're doing things differently or go to the stores as often. And so for us, we like that movement. We, as farmers, we think that, um, you know, we like the connection to the consumer more than things going to big ag yeah. and big food. Um, so, you know, we feel like there's some middlemen in there that maybe don't really make a better experience for the customer. And you know, so the farmer would be happy to contribute. And a lot yeah. of times you get caught in a big agri system and and you'd like to do something smaller, more direct. It's just like, how do we make it work? Because it has to work. Right. So yeah. we're grateful that we think we've been able to contribute to that space. Yeah, it's so cool. And I, I love your guys' story. And I love that you're providing such a great product to the marketplace. And, you know, that... You can just, like you said, you're you're here. You're you're helping people even get new, good, nutritious food during a pandemic when things are a little crazy, and are even contributing to people learning to cook new things at home. And you know, everyone, like you said, seems to be more about that these days. And I mean, I love that. I love that. That's kind of spreading like wildfire. And I hope that that trend does does continue. So, where can people find you? on the big wide world web where they can find your rice and buy it okay let me address that point you just made yeah one of the things you know janet jenkins does a great job for us and she you you should get her on one of these yeah but she's connected to probably more moms than i am okay and one of the things that i've kind of learned through her and tuned into is I think there's a lot more moms teaching daughters, even like high school and college age daughters that would otherwise be in sports or off at college or busy doing other things. Some of these kitchen skills that in today, you know, 2018 and 2019, they weren't as valuable because you could get food anywhere so easily. Yeah. So I think that's kind of been a neat thing in the pandemic is there's more, you know, grandmas, moms and daughters in the kitchen sharing knowledge and we're happy to be a part of that too oh yeah i love that and it, and it you know just to follow up on that it seems like so my kids aren't um i have a middle schooler new middle school just this year and then a, a daughter who's elementary school still but i um I remember telling my husband, like, these kids, they aren't learning these things at school anymore, like home ec type stuff. It's all about, you know, common core. And it's like, what are they going to do when they have their own house someday? And they don't know any of this. So it was interesting that I had so many friends, um, you know, who, like you said, had maybe kids in high school and such. And suddenly during the pandemic, they're like, well, you know, since the school didn't really know what to do right at the first of the pandemic when right. no one knew how to do online school, they were like, we're going to teach them how to do a victory garden, you know, as they were calling it. And like, just, you know, looking back to our past and being like, okay, like, let's just like teach you some real skills now that you need for life. Yeah. And I think that's a positive thing. I think it's, um, you know, long, young people, their brains are learning some things in a different way and learning some new things because the flat truth is 2018, 2019 with Uber eats and an iPhone in your hand, you don't need some of those skills, right? But it doesn't mean they're not, or you, I shouldn't say don't need, it's just, you use them less. But I think 
it's a very positive thing for a person to learn those and have that tangibility where you created it. Um, there's just like the victory garden. There's a different experience eating food that you grew versus food that you ordered on your iPhone. Oh yeah, for, for sure. For yeah. <laughs> definitely agree, agree with that. And, uh, you know, there's not, not only like, you know, moms teaching, you know, our grandmas teaching kids um, how to do that at home right now. But there's also like a one, a lot of wonderful resources online for kids. And I know this is going to sound funny, me uh, loving to cook so much and having a food blog, but sometimes, you know, your kids sometimes don't learn the best from you. And so my daughter actually started to take a cooking class through this place online called OutSchool, where kind of, you know, you are kind of really hands off the kitchen and they get to go on with the teacher and create stuff with the other groups of kids, which is kind of fun too, just that things like that are popping up and teaching kids how to do stuff as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. so I think all that connective learning and being connected to your food in a more important way, I think is a valuable thing for all of us because today's world, there's so many things coming at us where it's so much stimulus all the time. And we live in America. We're lucky to do so. And food is easy to get. However, I think there's a lot of value in being connected to your food in a more real and tangible way. And I think that serves us all. Oh, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And, you know, that connection to food, that connection to nature, that connection to earth. I know for myself, I feel so much better when I can just like get outside and like have my feet in the grass or in the soil or in the lake, you know, and just really you just feel um better at home with yourself and more at peace. And the same goes for knowing where your food food comes from. So in, in that aspect, where can we find Oregon yeah, Wild Rice online? Ordering food off your iPhone. Right. Um, yeah, so we have the name OregonWildRice.com and we have the name OregonRice.com. And so the root of our website is OregonRice.com. So that's the place to go. We've got a newer website and you know how websites are. They're always evolving. They're oh, always yeah. Evolving. So if it's a little bit glitchy and then the biggest thing with, um, with rice or any, any item is the shipping, the cost to get from A to B. And we haven't gone with Amazon yet just because we have nothing against Amazon. It's just that we're trying to do kind of a more direct connect um you know, from the farmer feel. Yeah. And so we'd like to do it more direct. And we're still fairly small, but really we're taking the words handcrafted very serious in our product. So we want to kind of control, we plant the seeds and we do every bit of it right here on the farm. So we kind of want to keep that direct connection. So right now, if you're not local, we are looking at some more nationwide grocers. Oh. We want to work with them. Uh, but right now, OregonRice.com is your best bet to order it. And you can find us on the Instagram, Oregon Wild Rice, and then Facebook, of course. Really, the website is the place to get it. Yeah. And um, speaking of locations-wise, so it, um, do you have those listed on the web website as well? Like what different markets you're in? Uh, it's, if it's not on there today, it will be on there soon. It, and it's constantly being added to and updated. Um, there's some national chains. I don't know when you get in your area. There's 
we're looking forward to meeting some of these people in different chains, but um, I think most of them are more regional and Western chains. Yeah. But we, we would love to be in your area and um, we're working with distributors to get it across country and, and still keep the, the quality and the freshness where it is. And luckily thing with wild rice is it'll last forever. If it doesn't get wet or something like that, you, it'll literally last you know, 100 years. And that's why people love it so much for kind of the fill your pantry mindset. <laughs> so that's a good, good thing. So right now there'll be a list on the website. You can order commerce through the website and we'll ship it to you as the best way to get it in the short term. And then we're trying to grow and reach across the country and help uh, more people. And we'd like to help the entire wild rice industry. Uh, we just think there's an undereducated public out there. And I don't know all the reasons for it, but I know there's a lot of reasons they'd love the product if they understood it better. Yeah, totally agree. And happy to to be a part of that education and spreading the word um, of wild rice as well. So I really just thank you for coming on today and telling us more about wild rice. And just it's so amazing. You have an amazing product and an amazing mission as well. And I can tell just you're so passionate about it, which, you know, just makes it even more fun. And yeah, we'll definitely help spread the word. This is really cool. Well, we feel the same. We really like what you're doing. We like Bad to the Bowl and we think you're on the right track and we're happy to be a part of what you're doing. Very cool. Well, thanks so much, John. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. I don't know about you, but I loved that conversation with John. He is truly such a nice guy, and you can just hear that radiate from his voice. And he's so passionate for being involved in his local farming community. He is so passionate about making connections between local farmers and local producers and retailers and just helping them get the word out about their product. It's so cool. I also love that he is on a mission to educate, you know, well, everyone, really, about the positive benefits that wild rice can play in our diet. These are truly things that I believe in as well, and I hope you felt inspired to give wild rice a try in the kitchen. If you want to purchase some Oregon wild rice, we will link all that information over on our show notes on our sponsored blog at badtothebowl.com forward slash 18. Again, that's badtothebowl.com forward slash 18. And once you get some of that wild rice, I would love to know how you use it. Whether you use one of the recipes that we have on our blog or you try something new, tag Bad to the Bowl on social media and we would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.